Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belonging to no one, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those who have not, uh, to the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so possibly that I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we gather this morning hearing your word read and proclaimed. And as we do so, O Lord, I simply ask that our eyes would be opened, our hearts would be available, our ears would clearly hear, and that our souls, O Lord, that our souls would be tuned to you for the transformation that comes through your grace, through your love, through your words so that we might leave here transformed. Transformed, not just as mere hearers, but, O Lord, as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. One day in college, after a long morning of class, I wandered down the hill to my fraternity house for lunch and plopped down to one of Hollis's spreads of hot ham and cheese croissants. And she was the woman that cooked for us, and she could make a mean hot ham and cheese croissant to the extent that, my friends, we would gather there, and it was not uncommon to see us pile three or four of those on our plate because they were that good. I mean, melt-in-your-mouth, Krispy Kreme, hot-now donut kind of melt-in-your-mouth goodness. And we were just there, and and one of my fraternity brothers, he had his plate full, and he plopped down beside me, he goes, Man, I just did the coolest thing. Now for 11.30 on a Tuesday, that's really worthy the follow-up question, what did you do? So of course I took the bait and he goes, I gave blood. Now, by, by the way, giving blood is a really cool thing, but this guy gave blood all the time, so I couldn't figure out what was so cool, but I said, so, okay, don't you do this? He goes, yeah, 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 I do. I said, then what was so cool about it? He goes, 
Man, today they asked me if I wanted to give blood in a peds pack. I said, what's that? He goes, well, that's exactly what I asked the nurse. What's that? And she goes, she holds it up and he goes, it looks just like the regular packet, the regular pint that they take, except it's four. So it said, so it's basically, you still gave a pint of blood, but they broke it up into quarter pint units. And he goes, exactly. He goes, you realize, he says, that I've been giving blood. He says, and I kind of always think that blood giving is a cool thing. He said, but I'm looking at these four bags and I realize that there is a child somewhere struggling that could get my blood and this could save their life. Now, I didn't have the heart to tell him that, you know, that whole pint you gave last month saved a person's life. But he was really intrigued by this, that this would give a child life. It made a difference for him. He was really transformed by this. And I'll tell you about that a little bit later on. But he was really transformed. I mean, he was so excited about it. Every one of our fraternity brothers that came in for lunch would sit down and start talking about regression analysis, or what are we learning in class. He goes, no, 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 let me tell you, I did the coolest thing today. And he would retell this story over and over again. It was infectious how excited he got about it. He was giving with meaning for him. Recently, in the Journal of Gerontology, they published the results of a large study that they've been doing for the last several years. They've been studying men and women ages 42 to 71. So we're trying to figure out what makes them tick, what is motivating them. And what they found out was this. Defining a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose in one's life offers greater satisfaction than job status or job title. And so the idea behind this was is that we seek meaning, we seek to make a difference, we seek to do something important with our lives, not just to accumulate rank and privileges. The story of my fraternity brother and then this research is really evidence of the world. We're really asking this question, can I make a difference in the world around me? We're we're trying to figure out, well, how do I do this? How do I find meaning in my life to make a difference? What counts for a life well lived? What's my legacy? Last week, right here in worship, we talked about were we made for something. And part of our conversation talked about how we need to turn from being inwardly focused to outwardly focused. Today, the text takes this a step further, not just to be outwardly focused, but outwardly focused with a purpose, with a sense of meaning behind what it is that we do. So as Paul's writing his letter to the church in Corinth, he's talking about his passion in his heart for preaching. And he says, it's not a choice for me. It's kind of like he didn't wake up and go, you know, I think today I'll preach a sermon. It's not like that for him. He says, or it's not transactional like, well, you know, they pay me to do this, so I guess I should go and do it. No, for him, it's an imperative. It is a response. It is a must-do thing. I love the text. Some some translations say, this is something I must do. See, it's a realization for what God has blessed him with, what God has done in his life as a result of that aha moment that he experienced on the road to Damascus, when he realized that he'd been chasing the wrong stuff and God steered him to the right stuff. 
For him, it was about this idea of transformation, and he wants others to experience it too. So he's telling the church in Corinth, this is why I do it. Is God transformed my life so much, I can't help but do this. And then he grows into great detail as to how he does it. He says, I make myself a slave to others in order to win more of them. Yes, it's about humility in service, but really it's about a relationship. By being in relationship to the world, he can begin to make a difference for the sake of the gospel. By being in relationship with those around, that's why he talks about, you know, for those that, for Jews, I become like a Jew. For those that are under the law, though I am not, I become under the law to relate to them. For those who are weak, I become weak to relate to them. So when I think about this, for you and me as followers of Jesus Christ, we ask ourselves, can we make a difference in the world around us? When we get up each day and we think about what is on our list to do or what we see outside of our window or our door, the answer to that question is yes, we can. But we begin to take this idea from Paul, we can do it, but we do it within relationships. I mean, how many times have we thought something like this? Oh man, you know, I'd like to get so-and-so back into church. I miss seeing them. It would be so good for them. Or maybe it's, oh boy, my coworker really needs some help. Someone should do something about it. Or we look at someone else and go, you know, if they just had Jesus in their life, everything would be better. Or if they just came to my church, they could begin to figure things out because we've got a lot of great stuff that could help them out if they would just come. But as we ask these lists of questions, there's another one, a comment that sort of becomes the rebuttal to that. Well, I I don't know. That, That seems really invasive. Like, I don't know how to invite anyone to church. Or maybe we pick up the line out of that old country music song years ago that came out, you know, you know, we'll talk about anything but politics, religion, and her. And we seem to have tossed two of those out the window. We're now more apt to talk about her or we're more apt to talk about politics, but we still, religion, let's keep that over there on the side. Let's not talk about that. Or even yet, as we look at someone in need, someone that is struggling, we say, yeah, someone should do something about that, but I just don't know them that well. But you see, the gospel challenges us here. The gospel challenges us here because if we're going to turn outward, then before we can truly help people, we've really got to understand them, right? If we're going to do that, if someone should do that, that someone is you and me, by the way. It's not someone over there. Someone, if we see a need, someone should do it. That someone is us. But for us to do that, we first can't just impose our agenda. Maybe we need to start with just building a relationship with them. But where we can invite them to join with us on our faith journey, we must identify what their struggles are. We must befriend them and be their friend. Because we can't do it sort of in a one-directional deal. Friendship is a true transaction. It's give and take. It's give and receive. And see, that's where we begin to make the difference. See, where we want to make a difference in the life around us, it begins with our relationships, and then it begins how we invite people into that relationship with us to be on a journey with us. We're not telling them where to go. We're asking them to walk with us because we'll learn together. 
mean, you think about Rose. Rose was about 11 or 12 years old. This idea of relationships enters into this story with her. She lived up in the mountains with her two younger brothers. Her dad was working two jobs to barely make ends meet. I mean, we've read a lot in the newspaper these days about what is a living wage. Her father was working two jobs to make a living wage. Mom was so exhausted taking care of the kids. They lived in a very simple but run-down house. The porch was falling in. It was not safe to get in the house. And so there was a group of kids that came up there that summer into the mountains to help the problem. They were going to build a new porch. But when they got there, you know, five or six teenagers within the group is about 50-50 boys and girls, two boys, three girls, like I said, about 50-50. And they're there and they realize that Rose is really kind of like one of them. She's just younger. She really wrestles with all the same teenage girl stuff. She's intrigued with boy bands. She likes to get her nails painted. She's got two younger brothers who could care less about her and more about their own world. And so for that week, while the porch was being built, this beautiful friendship formed between Rose and these teenage girls. They became like sisters, like a pack of sisters, and they had a wonderful week. By the end of the week, the porch was built. There were tearful goodbyes and everyone went back to where they were from. But I promise you this, if you found Rose some 15 years later, she could care less about the porch. I mean, it was a glorious porch. I mean, it was rock solid, it was a foundation. It was probably holding the house up. But what mattered most to her that week, what mattered most to her was there were three girls, three young adults, growing women, that began to listen to her story began to know her, that they saw her for who she was and loved her for who she was right where she was and didn't care about anything else. They just cared about her. See, my friends, if you and I, if we want to really make a real lasting difference in the world, it's not about one-hit wonders where we can come and write a check or come and give a canned good or come and build a porch. It's about the relationships we build with each other about getting to know each other, listening to our stories, asking probing questions, learning each other's hopes and dreams, fears and failures, even the disappointments in life. Where we begin to see each other as people just like us. No matter where we come from, no matter what type of shoes we put on the morning, whether they are strappy sandals or work boots or whether they're clogs of a health professional, it doesn't matter. When we begin to see each other at that base human level and build a caring, loving relationships, because when the relationships become not about us and them, but we begin to realize that the whole world is all about us, that's where we begin to make a difference. We begin to meet people right where they are, accept them as they are, and love them as they are. That's where we begin to build those relationships. So think with me for a moment. Think with me. Who do you know in the world around your world? Where you go each week, what you do each week, who do you know or see regularly that needs help? that needs a friend, that is searching for purpose or meaning, 
How well do you know them? They're just that casual acquaintance that you know at work. You talk about surface stuff as you see each other. Maybe it's someone that you see every week and you just exchange, how you doing? How's life? You've noticed they wear a locket with pictures of the kids, but you've never said, how are your kids? Or, are those your kids? Tell me about it. You never had that kind of a real conversation. See, my friends, if we want to make a difference in the world around us, we've got to go below the surface. We've got to build a real relationship, a real friendship with them, and to be their friend to listen to them, invest our time, our lives in their lives. See, Paul understood this. That was why he was willing to be a Jew for the Jews, to be like under the law for those that were under the law, to be like the weak for those that are weak, to be a slave to each other. Because he recognized that those friendships, those relationships were important. And he didn't come up with this on his own. I mean, he saw that in the teachings, in the ministry of Jesus. And so do we. Can I make a difference in the world? The answer we know is yes. But it starts with the relationships that we build. Once we begin to build those relationships, maybe we ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Why do I want to make a difference? Well, you know, it's really important. There's a lot of studies out there like, what is your why? What is your mission? What is your purpose? What is your why? Well, I mean, we could break this down. Why do we want to make a difference? Well, it's a good thing. Yeah, that's true. It is a good thing. But let's go a little deeper than that. Well, it's for the common good, right? That's good. But let's go a little deeper. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, well, we're in church, so somewhere here we're going to come up with a God answer, right? So, because God says so, right? Well, yes, God says we should try to make a difference in the world. But let's go deeper as to why God is saying that. My friends, here's the aha moment. The reason why we want to make a difference in the world is it becomes this sort of acts of mercy. What we believe in United Methodism is we believe that we have been really been given this gift of grace and love by God. And so it's acts of piety and acts of mercy are how we show those are outward and living signs of an inward and spiritual grace that we have received. So acts of piety are things like reading scripture, generosity, prayer, worship. But it's acts of mercy we begin to make that difference. We get upon our hands and feet to work for the sake of the kingdom. See, what this becomes is we're doing this not because, just because it's a good thing, not because the common good, not because God says so, but we're doing it as a response of our discipleship, our following of Christ who loved us enough to go to the cross for you and for me. See, when we begin to build that relationship with each other, we begin to understand their needs, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their disappointments, we get this opportunity to invite them on a journey with us, a journey of faith, a journey to grow together, to build the kingdom for the transformation of the world, but a transformation of our lives, theirs and ours. 
transformation. That's why we're doing this. We're doing this to make a difference in our lives and in the lives of everyone around us. Remember, it's not us and them, it's us together. And this is where it gets tricky. See, our calling to be disciples is to follow Jesus and to transform the world, but following are those acts of piety, but it's those acts of mercy where we begin to do the work of the kingdom. We begin to listen to each other intently, finding ways that we can work together, finding the bigger questions. So no longer is this about someone else. You're talking about my friend. See, once we break this down and we begin to see people as our friends, as truly as our family, I mean, let me tell you what, growing up with my younger brother, you know, it was the two of us against the world. Anyone, you know, I could pick on him, he could pick on me, but boy, the neighbor kid could not. Like if the na- one of the neighbor boys picked on one of us, you had to deal with both of us because that was how the relationship went. Isn't that the way it should be in the kingdom of heaven? that no one picks on my brother, my sister. No one picks on my friend because I'm going to stand up for them and with them, right beside them. See, our calling is the journey of faith. It's this idea of building the kingdom of heaven to invite others to do just the same thing. But we're only successful. We're only successful if people see God in the way we live. They see God in us. See, making a difference is all about the long game. That's what relationships are about, isn't it? It's about the long game. It's not about quickly solving a math problem. It's really more like solving a word problem where there's multiple steps. I mean, it's within this relationship that that we can walk together. We can figure this out side by side. I mean, think about this. Preach daily. Use words only if you have to. I mean, what if you and I lived our lives that way? That we preached whole sermons with our lives and used words only if we had to. Jesus loves me, this I know. Yeah, the Bible told me so. But Jesus loves me, this I know, because your treatment of me shows me so. What if that was how we lived? See, we want to invite others on this journey. If we want to make a difference in their lives and the lives of people around us, then our actions must be the most loving thing. We must begin to invite them on that journey with us and learn and do and share life together. None of us have it all figured out. It really becomes a family exercise, a growing of togetherness. That's the beauty of God's kingdom. When one of us is weak, the rest of us lift them up. When one of us doesn't understand something, the rest of us teach. When one of us is heartbroken, the rest of us are heartbroken too, but healing together. We leave no one behind. And my friends, when we live that way, transformation happens. I think of this idea of transformation, I think of that fraternity brother of mine. 
I mean, he probably wore every blood drive nurse out through the rest of college and into graduate school because he would come in, it's like, it's my day to get blood. I want to give a peed pack. I mean, he was determined that was what he was to do because he loved the idea of knowing that his blood was making a difference in the life of a child. That was that important to him. Transformation. It, wasn't no, it was no longer just giving blood. It was giving life for him. And so, my friends, the questions for us as disciples are this. Who do we know? Who do we see that needs to know about the love of God? Who needs help? How can we be in a transformative relationship with them that not only changes their lives, but ours as well? And we invite them along that journey because we have a loving and solid relationship. At the end of the day, here's what we will find. The world was transformed for them, for us, and the entire of creation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.